Hello and welcome, this is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I'm your host, Amir Grigic, and today we have a special episode. It's the 50th, and uh, to be honest, I wasn't uh, expecting to even make 50. It was kind of an experiment uh, of a year ago, something like that, and... I really wanted to uh, to thank everyone for listening, of course. Uh, we've had a lot of listeners from all over the globe. Uh, and I've uh, it expect uh, the expectations that I had were uh, were little uh, and uh, they were matched and even uh, surpassed in um, almost every way. So uh, this special episode is going to be uh, featuring around me. Um, I'm going to be the the guest today and uh, I've asked uh, a few people on uh, LinkedIn to uh, send in some questions, uh, just random questions about uh, business, tech or leadership uh, and to see what kind of uh, views I have on uh, specific topics. So uh, I would like to start off with the first question and the first question is from Olaf Molenfeld. He was one of the guests on the, on the show as well. Um, and he ca- kind of made this, uh, it was kind of a sarcastic question, but I think it was a valid question as well. So I wanted to uh, to start off with that one. And his question was, uh, is there a problem that uh, blockchain solves? So uh, I, I understand why th- this question was asked the way it was. Uh, of course, blockchain has gotten a lot of hype uh, over the years and uh, especially with crypto, but also uh, just in general, uh, everybody was like, "Yeah, blockchain is going to solve everything," and that's uh, kind of the 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 stigma that uh, surrounds uh, blockchain in that sense. But there are very valid uh, things to uh, to consider when uh, looking at blockchain. So, blockchain itself is not a, a new technology in that sense. It's a technology that has been around for years and years. Uh, but it's made it's made popular by the whole cryptocurrency movement and of course uh, Bitcoin in that sense. Uh, but there are very valid uh, reasons why someone would use blockchain in that sense. So, for example, there's a whole movement uh, with uh, with a lot of companies that are trying to uh, set it up for smart contracts, for example. So. Uh, a smart contract would be uh, I'm going to have an agreement with this company uh, and I want to uh, to have it validated and it will be become part of the chain. So a blockchain uh, is nothing more than a chain of uh, hashes in this case, uh, which are validated with a lot of nodes, uh, which also means that there is uh, it's decentralized in, in most cases, but also it will... Uh, uh, it 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 has a single point of truth, so it it doesn't change. It's it's not changeable after the fact. So, if you add something to the chain, it will be validated, and uh, everybody knows that it is uh, it is actually uh, it is correct, and it is a single point of truth. So it it it's in that sense, it's a it's a very good example of why uh, it would be good for for example agreements. Uh, there was, um, I think there was one of uh, one DJ, I think it was DJ Hardwell or something like that, that was also wanting to do this for uh, musicians, right? So when they sign an agreement, uh, they could, uh, it would be added to the chain and everybody knows that it was an actual agreement and nobody uh, can can tamper with it after the fact. So it it is, uh, it has multiple facets, so it's, in that sense, it's decentralized. Nobody can take that down. It's not that someone can change it after the fact. So the the single point of truth or the truth is there. Uh, so that, those are the, the the things that are also interesting for blockchain. So the other one is, is of course, currency. And the cryptocurrency market is uh, volatile, to say the least. Uh, but there, there are valid reasons why someone would use this uh, as a as a technology for a currency, because uh, as we already said, it's it's not changeable after the fact. So if I'm transferring you funds or currency in this case, um, it it would mean that for sure that happened, nobody changed it, and uh, you know that it actually, it, it's the truth. It's not something that's been changed afterwards. So those are some of the things that I see uh, that blockchain can actually solve. Um, People are going way too far into the discussion of uh, <laughs> where where it could be applied, and that there's also a thing that uh, I, I believe in is that you you should take blockchain if it actually solves your problem. So if it doesn't solve your pro- problem and you just want to use it because 
uh, you're gonna get funding from investors because it sounds cool that's that's not the uh, the the way to go um, and that's that's I think my opinion on block blockchain and what I what I see it can solve but as I said it, it's it's better to think about okay does this actually solve the problem that I want to solve when I'm creating something technological so that's my two cents on blockchain in that sense um, the next uh, question is actually from uh, Jivan Yezeltepe uh, and his uh, his uh, question was what's your opinion about Neuralink so Neuralink is for the people that don't know um, it's kind of something that um, uh, Elon Musk started up or at least uh, with another a few other people um, and it's basically some kind of a brain implant if you can call it like that um, and there's a lot of controversy about brain implants and implants in general because there was a lot of talk about uh, maybe putting chips in people and stuff like that and there there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ethics around surrounding that so uh what happens with that technology when it's implanted right who is who is going to be um in control of that is is this going to be used for brain control something like that it, it, it there's so many facets around this uh, that are still unknown uh but the 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 real deal here is to actually enhance people with uh with technology so that that's what they want to to get with this brain implants so when you have a brain disease for example uh there are a lot of brain diseases like alzheimer and stuff like that where uh, people are like okay maybe this can be a solution to that right uh maybe this can help someone that has a problem with uh something in the brain or whatever maybe this can help uh, correct that or at least uh, make it more bearable for someone and uh, that that's a very valid point and i think that uh, that's interesting to to see how that will evolve uh, the 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 thing is that it is still something that's in very very early stages uh there there's been a demo about how that would work and how it would look like uh, but there are a lot of uh, facets that are uh still still up in the air in that sense because uh there's a lot of moving parts here so if you put in a brain implant uh, th there's things like uh, what what happens with the fluid inside of the inside of the skull, and uh, th there's so many things that uh, that go around making this kind of a solution that it's still up in the air to see what what is actually going to happen with it. But um, then we come to the next part, and that's the the, the brain itself. We don't know uh, a lot about the brain itself. We we barely sketch the surface around what's happening in the brain when you have uh, a particular disease or uh, what happens in the brain when you respond to something. So we we measure things like brain waves and stuff like that, but it's still, uh, it's still something that we can't wrap our heads around. And that's also one of the reasons why, for example, uh, when people talk about artificial intelligence, it's... It doesn't make sense because uh, we don't even know how our own brain works, let alone create an artificial one. Uh, so that's that's the other side of uh, uh, why it's so hard to create these kinds of solutions. Uh, and I, I applaud uh, Elon for taking up these kinds of challenges because these are challenges that uh, a lot of people don't... Uh, you know, don't see right it, it's something that uh that or rather you do see but it is hard to 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 fathom uh, to start working on such a problem right and he's doing that for a lot of things and uh, mostly it's kind of in the startup phase where he's like okay i'm backing this i want to really change this uh, this space but there are a lot of scientists surrounding this uh this Neuralink thing um so i think it's um it's it's interesting to say the least, uh, but it is still very early to make some assumptions around what is actually going to what it's actually going to be used for, uh, but also uh, what uh, what what's how is it going to work surrounding ethics? But also uh, so that implant cannot sit in your uh, sit in your skull probably for your whole life. So uh, how is that going to work? Are you going to get a new version every time a new uh, 
uh, new implant comes out what's going to happen with that so uh, that that's that are those are some of the things that uh, technology is still uh, pretty bad at solving uh, that, that hap- happens with uh, with for example your phone as well uh, you know your phone is probably going to last like three or four years and after that it's not working anymore because the software doesn't support it anymore the software uh, has gone further than what the hardware on the phone uh, can actually support uh, how is that going to work with Neuralink as well how, how when you get that brain implant what's what's it going to run right what's it going to run uh, in terms of software hardware and stuff like that so it's it's very early, but uh, it is an interesting uh, it is an interesting thought, um, and yeah, that that's that's my two cents on uh, on uh, the Neuralink thing. Then uh, I would like to go to the next uh, question, and the next question um, is uh, by Amir Sabirovic, uh, also one of the the guests that was on the podcast, um, and. His uh, question, it was a lengthy one, but I tried to uh, try to make a summary out of it. And his question was more in the sense of, okay, so you've talked to all these people on the podcast. Uh, what is your kind of red line between uh, all the guests you've had uh, up until now? And I've, uh, I've really had a good thought about this because there are multiple things that, uh, that came, uh, that, that kind of shine through all those kind of uh, conversations that I had. And one, uh, I would like to split them up in two things. So one is more in business and uh, in kind of leadership uh, related. And the other one is um, uh, more in tech. So what do you see as kind of technologies that, uh, that shine through uh, in all those, uh, in all those uh, podcasts that you did? So the, the first one, uh, when I talk about business, uh, I've I've noticed that there is a a move towards uh, smaller teams, uh, and and that's um, that's pretty much all across the board. So uh, smaller teams are more like teams, uh, sometimes from ranging from three to six people, uh, and I understand why that is happening. So uh, it's uh, other than being more manageable, the the having such a small team is uh, it. it it's it kind of removes all the the clutter. So say for instance you have a team of twenty people, uh, you have a lot of moving parts there. So th- that's that's something that I've noticed is that a lot of companies are moving towards that that smaller team model, uh, which makes sense. Uh, we work with a team with uh, three or four people at a time, uh, and that's uh, kind of the sweet spot, to be honest. Uh, I know that the, um, uh, there, there's been a lot of talk about the what the guys at Basecamp do. So the guys at Basecamp uh, uh, also run in uh, teams of three, uh, where... Uh, a team of three people will actually pick up a project and uh, do it from start to finish and i think that's i think that's kind of a magic number in that sense three or four people uh, the reason being is that uh, you know the people uh, by heart that are working on the project but also it it removes all kinds of decision making so uh, say for instance you have three or four, four people you can make a decision much faster with three or four people than you can with a room full of people. Uh, everybody knows this, for example, in their um, in their career where they are looking at, okay, we have a meeting. Uh, we're going into the meeting with a with a, a, like ten people. Nothing is gonna get done, or nothing is actually going to be decided in that meeting. You already know that uh, beforehand, at least. That's from my experience. Most of the meetings that I've done with uh, with more than five or six people, even is already uh, is already a challenge because uh, everybody has their own opinion. It's really hard to get to one uh, kind of idea and uh, actually pull it through and also uh, make a decision on that. Even even the most experienced leaders have a problem with this. Uh, but if you go to up to ten people or even twenty people. Uh, then you're pretty much lost because there there is not going to be a decision, uh, however way you slice it. You can brainstorm, uh, but a brainstorm will not give you that decision at the end. So I understand that that move towards smaller teams for a lot of companies uh, because you uh, want to move on, and you uh, moving on means you need to take decisions, and taking decisions is 
so much easier in a smaller team. So that's one thing. The other thing that I've noticed is a lot of corporate startups. And what I mean by corporate startups are uh, a lot of big companies that are around, have been around for maybe 50 to 100 years. Um, they are all moving towards smaller startups inside of their own uh, structure. And that's, that's interesting. I had one, uh, for example, Twill, which was... A part or is part of uh, Maersk, uh, but also uh, some of the labs uh, between, uh, uh, for example, if you look at Albertine, which I had on the podcast, they uh, have a labs team uh, where it's basically a startup inside of a inside of a corporate uh, corporate environment, uh, and that's interesting, and that also ties into the smaller team thing uh, where. A lot of big companies see that it's hard to innovate with a lot of people when you have uh, this much legacy, but also this many people working at your company at that time. Uh, so that's that's something that I've noticed as well is that a lot of uh, a lot of people are saying, okay, we need to create something, maybe even in a different uh, on a different label or whatever, just to. Uh, make those innovations happen or actually make those projects that we want to build uh, happen much faster and also uh, again it takes away a lot of those layers that uh, are built up along the way when you are working in a bigger company Uh, so a company that's been around for 50 years maybe has I don't know uh, 10 management layers in some cases and that's uh, that's not easy to innovate in that that kind of environment doesn't happen so that's also where you see that startups uh, are very good at is that uh, especially in that kind of innovation phase and that experimentation phase and that's uh, that's the reason why i think that a lot of corporates are are doing these kind of startup things where they say okay uh, we want to uh, we want to experiment more we want to change things we want to uh, see if we can innovate with this kind of uh, this kind of technology or whatever, uh, they will usually set up something separate from their own corporate environment just to uh, make it clear that it is a separate entity in that sense. Uh, and the last one, I think uh, remote working is uh, for sure a thing that is uh, that is happening more and more. Um, and remote working can be in all kinds of ways. Uh, I've talked to Sitsa uh, Saibrandai from uh, GitLab about this as well. Uh, they have, I think, f- five to 700 people working at the company and they're all remote. So it's a completely remote organization. Uh, and the technology supports that right now. So it, it is... Uh, it, Internet, internet speeds are getting better. Uh, video conferencing is much more normal. Um, and I've noticed it myself uh, working with a remote team uh, that it, it's basically uh, not so different than having someone here. Uh, the only th- difference is that you need to, uh, need to think about it a little bit more in terms of uh, planning, right? So, uh, for example, what I do is I go... Uh, to the developers on our side uh, every half year, half of a year, so every six months, uh, and uh, we discuss more of the gen- general lines of what's going to happen in the next half year. Uh, but the other things we discuss while just on video conferencing, on daily standups, for example, and uh, talking about okay, this is what what we were ta- talking about, uh, and while I'm on site, we'll talk about okay. Uh, let's already start kind of planning user stories and seeing what we actually need to create if we want to create this product. Uh, so remote working is a is a big thing that's uh, happening all around, uh, from startups to uh, to actual bigger corporates where uh, they see that, for example, in the Netherlands, it's very hard to find development capacity. and uh, Or at least... Not even development capacity, but uh, but general IT people, uh, good IT people in general is is hard to find uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, so we see that uh, that that movement towards uh, looking, for example, in the Balkans, um, uh, India, not so much because that was a kind of a thing uh, that was happening before. But uh, people are kind of seeing that oh, you can also do it in the Balkans, which is. Uh, easier uh, but also it's uh, it's just an hour flight uh, or two hours of flight 
and also the kind of culture is pretty much similar to uh, to what we have in in Western Europe. So uh, remote working is definitely one of the things that uh, that's getting more and more popularized. Um, and also then uh, the tech part, because there was a lot of things that uh, passed the passed the kind of um, the 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 show uh, in that sense. Um, the the tech part you see that uh, voice is becoming a big thing of course with all the voice assistants being uh, placed into homes uh, and i think the last thing that i saw was that there are like 110 million smart speakers uh, all over the world uh, and that that number is only growing uh, and that that kind of signals something so it signals that there is going to be a new kind of way that the people are going to interact with your brand but also uh, just interact in general with uh, with technology uh, and uh, yeah w- we have uh, an Alexa in the office as well it, it is just something that is going to be uh, a thing and uh, it's it's a very big uh, part of w- uh, what new interfaces are going to look like so voice is a big thing a lot of corporates are starting to work with it uh, starting to test out what can we do with uh, uh, with voice, uh, I've talked about it with a few guests on the podcast, uh, and I I see that happening in the sense that I, for example, if I need something, uh, if I need something repaired, why shouldn't I be able to uh, to say that to a smart assistant instead of calling someone and waiting in line uh, just to get that uh, get that thing working, or going to my computer and actually typing something in, because a lot of uh, companies already have the kind of mobile app or whatever to uh, report, for example, if you have some damages at your house or whatever. Uh, But doing it by voice is more natural in that sense. Uh, But uh, then again, voice assistants need to get better at uh, kind of seeing those kinds of things and and putting things in context. And they are getting better at that. For example, the Google Assistant is, is better at... Uh, understanding that kind of context thing. Uh, so uh, when I say uh, uh, who is Barack Obama, for example, it will tell me who Barack Obama is. And when I f- ask a follow-up question, uh, for example, how old is he? Uh, it should know that that kind of context is there. So th- those are the things that uh, voice assistants are, are getting better at. And when they do get better at it, it will also be a more viable thing to uh, for people to, to use. Uh, of course, there's the ethics thing. Everybody's uh, listening to what you're actually saying. It, it, it is a thing. And uh, uh, it, it's actually been in the news uh, lately that uh, a lot of these uh, smart uh, smart speakers, but also voice assistants, are listening to what you are saying and uh, i think amazon added a, an opt-out thing now for uh, people that w- don't want to get listened to uh, by by other hum- humans so um voice for sure is going to be a thing uh, well then we have the whole ai thing that i already briefly talked about um yeah, it's it's pretty much a hype. Uh, everybody knows that, uh, and in most cases, it's just machine learning, which we've, we've had for a long time. But uh, machine learning is getting better and better, and that then it seems like it is actually doing uh, some things itself. Uh, but it's still n- long ways away from what an actual AI would be, uh, where an AI would think for itself and actually make decisions by itself, usually uh, what we do now is have a big data set that's been trained to do something, or at least uh, it, the data set has been trained and uh, and you know what the data is, and based upon that, there will be decisions. And that's uh, different to what an AI would be. Uh, for example, human things by itself, of course, your worldview is uh, structured around things that you've, uh, you've um, experienced in the past, but and there, um, the, it, it is a hype, right? So it, 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 actual artificial intelligence is not here and it's a long ways away, I think. Uh, and uh, also I, I've talked uh, of, or I've listened to a podcast uh, by Naval, uh, uh, Joe Rogan, and uh, he kind of says the same thing and his perspective on uh, things 
I really enjoyed because it's it's a realistic view of what uh, it means to actually create an artificial intelligence. So if you didn't check that out, check that out because that's uh, pretty much the way I think about AI as well. But it is something that a lot of companies are looking at. So a lot of companies are looking at, okay, how can I use this huge data set that I may have uh, to uh, do some uh do some intelligent stuff upon that. So uh, actually the machine learning part. Uh, that That's for sure some of the th- things that uh, it's getting easier and easier to do. So a lot of uh, companies are using those kind of services from Google, Amazon, and uh, Microsoft, uh, if you look at the cloud players, but also Alibaba Cloud, which is uh, coming up uh, really fast at the moment. And uh, the last one, I think, is uh, talking about those cloud providers. A lot of uh, development is going in that direction as well, where uh, it's going to be more uh, service-based, where people are just using, uh, for example, Amazon Comprehend for text uh, analysis, uh, or uh, they are using uh, Amazon Recognition for image analysis. So it's it's more that we get those tools to just send something to and we get the response. And we don't need to train that whole data set ourselves if, if we don't need it. So uh, I think that development is moving towards a more, uh, and you see that uh, a more cloud-based approach, which was already happening, but uh, even more to... Uh, not doing it yourself anymore. So not uh, setting up the servers yourself, uh, actually going through the motions of using a service. So th- those are the things that uh, that I've noticed that a lot of companies are doing uh, because they want to focus on their core business. They want they don't want to be setting up servers. They want to just send something, get the result, and do something with that result. So that's that's uh, the third thing that I wanted to mention in the in the kind of tech space. But th- this was a very good question, uh, because uh, and actually the other ones were as well, of course, but uh, this was a g- good question because it was, uh, it was good to think through all those 49 that I did before uh, to see what's actually the, the, the red line between all of them. Uh, and these are kind of the six things that I've, uh, I've seen uh, along the way. So the next one is uh, Eddie Chustovich. Uh, he uh, was also a guest on the show. Uh, and his question was, what's the right balance between enterprise versus deep technical knowledge uh, for an early career professional? So uh, basically, I think uh, that Eddie was more uh, thinking about the, what's better for someone in their early phase of their career. So would they... Uh, would they have to really get to uh, deep technical knowledge or do they uh, need to have some kind of entrepreneurial spirit in that sense? Um, And again, I think uh, (laughs) one of the the, the podcasts that I listened to uh, with Naval is a good example of that where he says, okay, you need those kind of building skills so that kind of technical knowledge to actually start up something. But you also need to be good at uh, being an entrepreneur in that sense where uh, you can sell stuff. So where, where you can say, okay, this is what I'm building and this is why it's interesting. And uh, th- that combination of those two, it's kind of unbeatable in that sense if you can do both. But most people, uh, the the outliers will do, know both, uh, but most people are pretty much good at one of those two things. Uh, uh, when when you're looking at an early phase of career, so when I look at my own uh, early phase, it was very good for me to see multiple environments. So seeing multiple um, and being in multiple companies, uh, from ranging from maybe ten to three hundred people, uh, just to see those kind of differences between those two. So, uh, seeing how, uh, for example, managers—I hate the word—but managers uh, work in those different companies. Um, how how do they th- do things different? And you can learn from everybody in that uh, in that kind of thing. So. I would say that you need deep te- technical knowledge, for example, when you need to want to build something and you want to start up something. Uh, it's good to have that foundation to know what's actually going on because usually something technological will be going on in almost any solution you're, uh, you're building. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, it's also good to have that entrepreneurial spirit, but that's, that's something that I think 
some people have by themselves, and that's hard. That's uh, just a talent uh, when they when they do. Uh, but usually, you'll see that it happens after you've been through a few environments where you could see, okay, this is what works, and this is what doesn't work within a company. So I would. Actually, when I look at uh, an early phase, I would suggest to people just to start working at a company uh, because a lot of people start out and they they come right out of school or university and they're like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, which is great. And in most cases, yeah, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but you do see that um, the ones that have been in companies uh, know what works and what doesn't work. And it's harder to to kind of feel that uh, when you're just starting out and all already starting as an entrepreneur. So uh, I, I would say, I would suggest for a lot of, uh, for especially if you're an engineer, start working in a company first and then uh, look at that. Because what's the rush? A lot of people are like, okay, I want to, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to change the world. Okay, that's great. But you're just 20 years old. <laughs> what are you going to change, right? So uh, there are exa- examples of people that were just in the right place at the right time and did an execution in a good, their execution in a good way. Uh, when you look at Zuckerberg, for example, you can talk about Facebook all you want, but uh, it is the example of a good execution in that sense where uh, someone that's mid-20s already has that kind of uh, uh, that kind of a technological um, uh, yeah kind of company in that sense uh, but that's an uh, that's an outlier that's not a that's not the norm uh, what what everybody needs to to focus on um, usually uh, when you're saying i want to change something uh, i want to change something in the world or whatever uh, be prepared for a longer journey <laughs> it's not going to happen in one or two years uh, I, there are of course I, I, as i said there are some examples where it did happen but uh, in most cases, you, you're looking at 10, 20 years where you're actually going to have to work very hard to to get to a certain point and actually change something uh, over the longer period of time. And I think Eddie uh, has that has the best example in that what he's doing with his foundation, for example. Uh, that's that's a longer term plan. It's not. Of course, he's working very hard to get it to a shorter term, but in most cases, it will be. A longer, a longer time period of time where he is actually going to change something. So uh, that that's my two cents on that. Uh, I think uh, it's a it's a great question. What what someone would do in their early phase of their career? Uh, not everybody is the same, but I would I would suggest just focusing on first getting the the kind of basic knowledge and seeing how a company works, and then actually going up until. Uh, uh, in the entrepreneurial kind of uh, sphere. So uh, the next few questions actually are uh, by uh, Faris, Faris Acina. Uh, and uh, I, uh, they're, they're very interesting. So I, I would like to go into the first one. Um, so how to hire the top 1%. So uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting question. So, you do you? The question is more: Do you want to uh, hire the first one percent or the top one percent? So, the top one percent are the people that uh, are the extraordinary engineers, if you can call it like that. Uh, for for example, if you look at engineering, uh, where they just are the the most the brightest people in the room at all times and also are just the the most output uh, outputting uh, engineers and know the 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 easiest way to to a complex uh, complex problem so the question is do you even want those top one percent because you're probably not going to get them uh, at least not at when they're at that level of top one percent so the top one percent it's it's realistic in that sense for people that uh, for companies like Facebook or Google, where they are looking for those specific people and also have the funds to uh, give them the 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 high salaries that they demand. Uh, so, if you want to hire those people, if you actually see that you you you're striving towards uh, those kind of extraordinary people, uh, it, the best thing is actually to see if you can. Uh, hired them early uh, and that means uh, knowing what 
is needed in that top 1% and actually high, seeing uh, those kind of people when they come out of their university or whatever, uh, where you can see, okay, uh, this uh, person has a lot of potential. They're not there yet. They're not the the top 1%, but they are uh, that good that they uh, that they could go towards that level. The, the hard part here is then that they need to have the right um, the right guidance to get to that one percent. If you want to get them there, the 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 real thing here is um, you really can't expect everyone to, to get in the top one percent because the top one percent wouldn't be top one percent anymore. It would probably be top twenty percent. So um, I would. I wouldn't even be uh, if it's top twenty percent. It's already good. You you already have a very 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 good engineer or and 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 that's that's the thing that I want to uh, to talk talk about more is okay. What's uh, what makes a great engineer or a great um, uh, employee for that matter? So um, there are a few things, of course, but the the, the ma- most important one is, of course, you want to get them to to great technical knowledge because uh, that's what's needed when you are talking about this that top one percent. The other the other very important pr- uh, thing is just communication skills. So the soft skills are, in most cases, more important than just the technical knowledge. Um, if someone is the best engineer around that you can find but they cannot communicate their idea it's <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of having a, a very fast sports car but with no wheels uh you you want you want to get to to have someone that has that combination and usually those people won't be the top one percent then uh, they will be the top 20 percent but that's that's fine uh, in most cases uh, a lot of companies can't even get that top 20 percent they will settle for even less than that so uh, that's also your next question so how do you train people to get in that one percent as i said uh, if everyone could train people to get in that one percent it wouldn't be a one percent anymore so uh, I, I think the true one percenters are are those that um, they will get there when you give them guidance and not boss them around so they will eventually find a way for themselves to uh, to get there they will have that drive that ambition that drives them uh, to to get to those heights so if someone says I'm going to be the best engineer or you see it in sports as well. I'm going to be the best football player or whatever. Uh, you you need the talent, of course, but also determination to uh, determination to get there. Uh, and that's that's the most important thing. I think you as a company, of course, are, are going to shape someone. Uh, but uh, Usually, the, those people that are kind of the outliers will all always have their own kind of path and own, their own kind of way of thinking about things. Um, when I look at myself, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be a top one percent engineer, but there are other things that uh, that I, I will I am better at than uh, uh, maybe another engineer that's that's great at technical. Uh, I know that my skills are somewhere else. So that that's something that someone needs to find out for themselves as well, and it ties into the the question that Eddie uh, asked uh, before. Y- you need to. Um, you need to you need to have seen kind of the environments uh, where people thrive uh, to actually understand uh, what you need to to get to a certain point so uh, g- give them the environment to thrive in that's kind of the the thing uh, and uh, giving that environment means you need to trust people you need to give them the complete trust to, so that they can actually fail because you need to fail <laughs> before you can actually get to, get somewhere uh, even the top one percent, uh, if you can call it like that, uh, they they have filled numerous numerous amount of times just to get to that point where they are at that time. So I, I would say give them the environment uh, to drive in, and that's uh, usually an environment of guidance, not bossing around. Uh, but also, why why should you? always look for the thumb one percent of course it's fine if you can get that but uh, don't stress out about it too much in that sense so 
the the second one is uh, or the the third question actually is what are the top three daily routines of good leaders so uh that's a very broad question but um what what uh, i kind of got a cop-out answer in that sense because uh, everybody's everybody's different so when you look at the very very good leaders uh, no top three uh, is the same and no routine is the same uh, they will all be doing some stuff differently a lot of people are like oh you need to get up early in the morning at like 4 a.m and then uh, start your day off with uh, exercising because then you can become a good leader that that's not the case right everybody's different in that uh, in that way uh, there are a lot of good leaders which are when you look at the kind of prototype of what a good leader should be uh they're pretty horrible actually when you look at it uh and that's uh that's something that i've noticed so uh but things that are the same usually are characteristics so some of the characteristics that uh that i've already talked about is empowering through thrust right so uh, when you trust trust someone and uh, when you actually give them that trust you will see that they will deliver so uh, that's one thing but the other thing is uh, you need to have a clear understanding of what your your uh, your business is but also having a vision upon that so people are going to follow that they are going to follow that vision that you have they're not uh, of course they're also going to follow you but they're also going to follow that that point on the horizon where you say okay this is where we need to go and this is what we need to do to change stuff so that that's another characteristic that i've noticed that a lot of uh, these big uh, big name uh, leaders have uh, for example what elon musk has with the Neuralink, what I, what i talked about that's a very very distant future thing when you think about it but it's also a vision thing where people can get behind uh, and that's that's what I mean with a clear understanding of the, your business, but also your vision that you want to to portray, and just consistency. Uh, I I can't stress it enough. Consistency every single day. Uh, if you're if you're saying that you're working towards something, if you're saying you're going to do something, uh, you have to show that you are going to do that. If you don't do that, people will not uh, be able to follow you. So that's that's one of the characteristics where. A leader shine through. A good leader shines through. Where they, uh, the the action speaks speaks louder than words. Thing is just really true in that sense. Uh, where if you show every single day that you uh, want to get to get to this point, you will get there. But also the people that uh, are are following you, if you can call it like that, they will follow you for that particular reason. Where they see that you want to get this get this done. So those are kind of the three things that I would say are important. Uh, and it's hard to get a daily routine in that sense, but uh, that, that's the things that I've, uh, I've noticed along the way. So the next question is how to prioritize like a pro. Uh, it's a great question. A lot of people have a lot of issues with prioritizing uh, what they should be doing at that uh, particular time. Um, the, the first the uh, thing that I would say, or actually the, the most important thing I think is uh, whenever you're prioritizing what you're going to do next, think about the value you're going to add to your business or your product or whatever you're working on at that time. Um, if it doesn't add value, if it's just a gimmick or something that's interesting to see but nobody's really going to use, um, probably that's not the, the, the thing you should be working on. You should be working on okay, this is something that I'm going to add to this product which will add value to my customers. It's always about the value that you bring to someone else. It's not about the value that you bring to your product. It's the value that you bring to someone actually using your product. Uh, and that's that's what your priority should be all, at all times. Uh, so I, I would say when you're prioritizing, look at that. Look at what the value is for your customer in that sense. Uh, and probably start with that when you when you're looking at that. The other ones, uh, the other two questions, the last two questions uh, by you uh, were, uh, how important are mentors and advisors? Why and where to find them? Uh, <laughs> it's it's extremely important. I, I uh, I've talked about it. I think on the podcast uh, once or twice. But uh, um, uh, mentors are. Uh, 
people that are going to get you over those kind of barriers where you are at at, at certain points in your lives. So uh, I I I wished I had a, or when I'm 30 at the moment, but when I when I look back, I wish I had a mentor at 20 where people where someone was like, okay, uh, just talk to someone and say, okay, these are the things that I'm going through. This is actually where I want to go. Uh, what's kind of the things that you would suggest to me? So it's more of a, a mentor is more of a life coach in that sense where you uh, discuss things, you brainstorm, but also you, you tell your ambitions to and say, okay, this is where I want to go. And they will help you in that. Uh, and I think that uh, everybody could have a mentor. It doesn't matter if you're a top leader in a, in in one of the biggest companies in the world, you still would benefit for someone that has some kind of experience that you don't have because you're going to learn something from it. Uh, so where to find them is the the harder question. So where do you find those kind of mentors? Um, I I think uh, it's hard to ask someone to be your mentor, however way you slice it because you're kind of feeling like you're taking up their time, especially when it's someone that's already has a busy uh, business or whatever. Uh, but if you don't ask, you won't get it anyway. So where to find them is more of an interesting question because um, say, for instance, you want to be a very, very good engineer. Say you want to be one of the best software engineers out there. Um, my suggestion would be look at people that are already in that space and already you see you already see them as kind of the top uh, in that in that space and just try and try and uh, get to them however way you can if it's through email or linkedin or whatever uh, and don't go and say okay i need a mentor just mentor me go with specific questions right so you need to if you're already, uh, as you can, if you can call it like that, bothering them for their time, have something prepared, right? So have a question prepared that's uh, for them maybe easy to explain, but it's f- for you hard to actually get your head around. So try it like that. So LinkedIn is a great platform for that, just to to see. Okay, I, if you want to be a CTO, you should talk to uh, to people that are already on that level and try and just because but people will will most of the times nine out of ten cases are not. Uh, they they want to help people, especially when you're in kind of a leadership position. Um, they will help you with that. So I would say uh, LinkedIn, but also. Uh, if you see that there are some examples of people that you really, really look up to, uh, try and follow them on on Twitter or whatever, and try to engage with them there. So you, they will actually see, oh, that that guy or girl uh, has replied to me before, and they always have kind of valid points or valid. So engage with them instead of just going for it and saying, okay, I want to you, I want you to be my mentor. That's not going to to work in most cases. Um, but also just say it within the company you are at at the moment. Uh, say, okay, uh, I'm st- sometimes stuck in some in some cases. I need someone to at least help me or mentor me or however way you want to slice it. And usually you will see that people are going to look around and say, okay, this may- might be someone that could help you along the way. Uh, so you need to be vocal about it. That's that's also one of the big things. Uh, I've I haven't been vocal about it uh, in the past, and I am now where I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to get f- even further than I'm at, at right now. And you need to be vocal about what you want to do. So you need to say, I want to have this and this, or at least I want to get to that point. Uh, do you know someone that could help me or whatever? Uh, and that's hard to do for some people. It's asking for help, which is always hard, but uh, it's the only way where, where you're actually going to get a result in that sense. And the last question, uh, if there was one thing you uh, would do to improve the average performing company, what would it be? Uh, one word, leadership. <laughs> that, that's that's pretty much always the what it boils down to. Uh, so uh, when you look at, uh, at at leadership within a company, uh, it's the most important thing uh, within a company, for sure, without a doubt. So it always starts at the top. So if your leadership is not 
uh, say for instance you have an average performing uh, company uh, you should look at the leadership that is in that company because um, the difference between an average company and a great company is usually the people at the top that uh, are doing either not focusing on the good things or just not the persons or the people to to get your company to the next level so leadership is the most important thing here and uh, that's the first thing i would look at when you're looking at this kind of uh, uh, this average uh, performing company um so one uh <laughs> one one other question or actually multiple questions because uh, uh it's uh, from Pete Snakes one of the guests as well uh, he had some rapid fire uh, questions uh, and i would like to go into the, all of them if uh, if i can um so it, he uh, put a lot of versus things so for example uh, uh vision versus agile so um yeah i talked about it a little bit you, you need a vision to work towards um and agile can be the wor- the the way to work towards that vision uh, it doesn't have to be but it it could very well be so you really i can't really pick between those two but if i should pick between those two i would look for the vision because uh the way of working you can always get get right but if you don't have a great vision of where you want to work towards uh then it's going to be a very difficult uh, difficult path so you always need to have that goal in mind so i would i would pick vision o- over agile in that sense uh the other one is uh, data versus gut uh well that that's tricky one um because usually uh the it it comes from a combination of those two where you can look at the data and say okay this already says something that i already felt so i already had a kind of gut feeling about um but on the other hand everybody says trust your gut right everybody says trust your gut is that always the best thing to do i don't know but i've noticed that uh whenever i trusted my gut uh it usually paid off so uh, i would go with gut uh, even though that's a little bit controversial but i, I would go with that uh, then uh, insight versus accessibility well uh, all these as well are two things that are going hand in hand because uh, you uh, you can't really b- pick between those two because you want to have insight but it also should be accessible so if you uh, if you want to get that insight across you need to have it accessible at all times so when you look at insight versus accessibility uh, you can't have insight without ha- having it been accessible in the first place so i would pick insight but that's more of a, a ways to to get to somewhere so if, when you get that insight that you didn't have before it's good to have that and then uh, work upon that so i i would say insight uh, but uh, as i said it's really hard to pick between one of those two so the next one is master versus apprentice well this is a this is a big one uh the the question is more when i look at it the question is more when are you really a master right so i think that you're always an apprentice in that sense where you're always learning something new and that's kind of a cop out answer but it is something that uh that is true right so even though someone masters something uh i i look at for example i i saw a video um, not too long ago from uh someone that was doing brazilian jiu-jitsu which was like heavy heavy black belt kind of the be- one of the best uh, uh, jiu-jitsu guys out there and he was still learning from people that maybe when you look at it are not as skilled as he was but he's still when they are explaining something about a technique or whatever he's still listening to what they are saying so in that sense you're never really a master you're kind of always an apprentice so i would if i need to pick between those two it's probably going to be apprentice because i feel like you're always uh, when you're always in that state you kind of become a master uh, along the way the other one is uh, notes in your margin of your books versus ebooks and goodreads uh ebooks <laughs> all the way uh, i'm not uh, i'm not someone that uh, that uh, jots a lot of things down so um i, I would say ebooks just because of the com- convenience um then 
an interesting this is more uh, an audio thing uh infinite 96 kilobytes of spotify for life versus 20 of your favorite albums on vinyl so i would probably well i love a very good audio quality <laughs> but uh i would probably go with the spotify thing just because i couldn't pick 20 albums that that's that's pretty much my answer on that one um then failing versus reading so uh both both are very important uh i would say failing is int- is kind of the 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 top of the list for me because i love just doing things and seeing what's what works and what doesn't because you can read all you want but if you don't try it and fail you're not going to get anywhere so i would say failing 100 percent uh then uh drawing versus conference calls um well i suck at drawing but i also hate conference calls so uh i I would go with someone else. <laughs> I would go with with something else uh, uh, all entirely with uh, I would go with thinking because I like I like to think about things. Uh even though if, if it doesn't if it doesn't go anywhere it's good to have that kind of mental uh, mental training. So uh, drawing versus conference calls uh, I would pick thinking <laughs> something totally totally different. Um then uh, Linus Tor- Torvalds versus Steve Wozniak uh Linus probably because of his rants and also because he created the great operating systems. Um, So Wozniak more of his because of his groundwork with Apple. Uh, But if I have to pick, I would pick Linus. And the reason being is that uh, he he has well Steve has that as well. But I think that he has kind of an innate passion and that also comes out in his rants because he really loves that thing that he created and he's still involved in in it after all these years so uh i i love that about uh i love it when people have that passion and are uh going through with it through and through so i I would i would go with that one uh so uh, the next question is generalist versus specialist uh i that's a hard one because I've always loved being a generalist on the, on the one hand, uh, and I think it's good to be a kind of broadly knowledgeable. Uh, but in the end, uh, it's it's better to look at what you're uniquely good at. Uh, for example, if you're a good communicator, uh, look at that. Right. So uh, it's it's great to be an engineer. Uh, and be a communicator but if you're a good communicator you should probably not just look at the engineering part you should look at things that you can add to someone's company or whatever so uh, i would i would say that you uh, it's good to be a generalist but uh, when you look at the 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 long term where you're actually going towards it's even better to be a specialist because you uh, you have a unique kind of set of skills in that sense. So KPIs versus MPS. Um, uh, I really uh, don't believe that much in KPIs, even though uh, a lot of companies work on it. Uh, it it's just a number uh, without a context usually. So um, I, I would go with MPS for this. And uh, MPS is... For the people that don't know, that's uh, more of a question of... Uh, you get that question sometimes in surveys where it says, uh, would you recommend this this company to your friends? And you can score it from 0 to 10. Um, and it basically gets a score of uh, how likely it would be to that someone would recommend your company. And I would go with MPS in that sense because I think that the, the, big, the, the, fo- the businesses that in the end prevail are the businesses that focus on that that focus on what the customer uh, uh what the customer wants but also just the great service that they're providing and the great service almost always shines through in that mps score so i would go with mps for that uh and then statistics uh, versus talking to people uh, again uh, it, it kind of uh resonates with the K- kpi thing uh, uh, as well uh, i think statistics are great uh, but in the end, people are doing the work. So uh, I en- I enjoy getting uh, talking to people uh, and turn it uh, and in turn see those statistics changing. Uh, so I would I would go with talking with people. Uh, so in the end, uh, again, 
that's what's going to to make a company a company in that sense it's it's the people uh, so if you get that right if you get that those people to trust you uh, to 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 believe in your vision that you have uh, it will always shine through uh, and then string theory versus loop gra- <laughs> loop quantum gravity. Uh, string theory, I would go with uh, just because I know it from the Big Bang theory, but that's pretty much it. Uh, I, I really don't understand physics or at least some basic physics, but I'm not I'm not that deep into it, uh, to be honest. So that was the last question for today. And... Um, I would love to thank uh, the people that sent in the the questions uh, because they they were very interesting to to talk about. Uh, And of course, uh, happy anniversary to my podcast (laughs) uh, with the 50th. Uh, And of course, people, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com, all major podcasting platforms, uh, and also Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. It's all Bits vs. Bytes. And uh, there's a newsletter where you can uh, sign up for five things about business, tech, and leadership. It's on bitsvsbytes.com newsletter. And I would like to thank you for listening. And until next time.